Welcome to Blight and Boon. This is episode 5. In this episode Andrew and Dan talk to Shawin about the God's Tea World. They talk about the background of the champions and how they seek the path to Godhood. God's Here podcast. Um, hello, Dan. Hello. Who's here with us today, Dan? Uh, Andrew. He's here with us. I am here with you. Yeah, and there's somebody else. Uh, Sherwin. That's, is that his name? Yeah, Sherwin. Sounds about right. Hello, Sherwin. Hello. Who are you? Um, it's very rude, isn't it? I'm Sherwin. I'm, I, <laughs> I, get the, I get the privilege of writing lots of nice things for the God's Here universe. Um, I'm so... Some of you may have not heard much of this before, but basically, um, uh, Sherwin is the the lead writer for all things Godtier, Gilball, Steamforge in general. You write all the story and background and stuff, don't you? That sounds about right. Um, so you may have if you may have heard um, uh, an episode in the past um, of Singled Out, episode uh, fifty eight, where Sherwin talked about the Godtier background in sort of broad terms. Um, it's probably best if you listen to that again. Because we're probably not going to go through the whole thing all over again. Um, maybe go through God tier in sort of broad strokes, and then we're going to look at the background for the new heroes, champions, even champions. Um, so, do you want to give a broad sort of pitch on God tier's world showing first? I mean, we certainly can do. It's I think we covered that somewhat in the last episode, which is interesting because you've just said. We won't cover that again. No, and board now terms, let's talk board about terms. it again. Yeah, just poor terms. Just poor terms. <laughs> no Helping. worries. And plus, we have new listeners, of course. So. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, so, the Gotia universe is, I mean, actually speaking of the world itself, it's this land that's been massively destroyed um, over and over again. We're now in the 11th age. Um, the age is being this cycle where um, the gods start off by being destroyed. Uh, they reign to the earth, their essence does, in terms of these god tiers. Um, that's then quested for and found by various different chosen individuals who are able to sort of survive exposure to this power. And not only that, but absorb it and basically become more godlike. Uh, they kind of, you know, they... they they go out across the land in search of this of this godstone and then basically absorb all of this power until they become just like gods themselves. It's at that stage they ascend, they become the gods, and then after a time there will inevitably be a sort of a war amongst the gods, uh, which leads to their destruction, and of course the whole cycle begins again. Now the world itself has been destroyed several times over. We've had we're now in the eleventh age, meaning we've had ten before of this happening. And so as a result, you can imagine the land is kind of just really filled with desolate wasteland where the kind of devastation wrought upon it by the gods and their fury has literally just sort of, you know, has rendered sort of areas that were very uh, fertile plains, uh, you know, lots of you know rich kingdoms, that sort of stuff. It just gets absolutely destroyed and ruined. And then, of course, the next time, the next time it develops, different areas become more um, more significant. So the current part of the universe... He exists in a place, well, sorry, the current part of civilization where most of our story is focused at the moment is an area called the Cradle. And it's called that because it's really the emerging sort of smelting pot of where all of the nations or all of the races that have survived the most. Because obviously all nations, uh, all races kind of get destroyed in varying degrees. As you can imagine, a bunch of dwarves hiding in a mountain hold, for example, aren't as likely to get uh, you know, are likely to have as much ruin visited upon them by sort of a falling god tier or sort of you know fire raining from the skies, that sort of stuff, as a city of man out in or, you know in a plane somewhere. They're better protected. So the cradle at the moment is where most of the races that are more prevalent are really sort of focused. Now outside of that, we don't really know what that is just yet. So over the years, as more the world's been wrecked, people the, the sort of society sort of um closer together and got closer together to sort of make use of the land that's left and not absolutely ruined by falling meteorites and things. 
yeah, something like that. Although it's worth pointing out, obviously, we're talking sort of thousands of years. So it's entirely feasible that somewhere that gets, say, let's choose the Third Age for the sake of argument. Just because an area gets absolutely destroyed in the Third Age, it's probably inhospitable for the Fourth and Fifth Age, maybe. By the time the Sixth Age rolls around, it's probably actually starting to recover at that stage. Although, obviously, it gives us some really unique uh, land masses. Like, we'll have these areas which have got these huge sort of lakes in them where there's literally meteorites have crashed into the Earth um, and just ripped open massive chunks, holes, that sort of stuff in land. So that's sort of pockmarked by these little craters and stuff. We'll have other areas where there's lots of islands where sort of a bit of land masses shattered off from the mainland. Uh, and also, of course, areas where it's so permeated with magic that you'll have kind of, you know, floating chunks of Earth sort of flying into the sky, that sort of stuff. So do we know how long it took between ages at all? Or does someone know that? Probably so the biggest years, thousands of years or...? Yeah, in terms of in-world, our, our nations, our races really don't have an idea. Like, it's something where, if you can imagine, when, when an age ends, um, the, the start of it is that the gods begin to rain, you know, rain fury, fire from the skies, you know, tsunamis rise up to sort of consume the land, that sort of stuff. Devastation is visited upon the mortal realm. And the idea is that only sort of a few survivors really sort of ever crawl out of that. It's something where, you know the mortals themselves are influenced by the god's fury and they actually go to civil war themselves you know it's there's lot it's a very destructive apocalyptic kind of scene that happens each time and the survivors aren't always the best people to kind of carry on their sort of their racist story to carry on not you know they're not always scholars and historians so some of it is sort of hearsay or song depending on what you know kind of um how these different races kind of keep going with tradition that sort of stuff um so in terms of in world no one truly knows they just know it through legacy of you know these are the old gods and this is what has happened and our ancestors have told us that you know once there were civilizations here and now they're gone you know these were the old ones now in terms of us reading this outside of this it's a very different thing obviously it can vary from age to age sometimes it might be hundreds of years sometimes it might be thousands of years um there's no reason why it can't be yeah it can't vary at all and is there a reason these ages actually kick off we've discussed this a couple of times that some reason the gods start fighting again gods is come raising down is that something that's actually decided that we know or just something that's a mystery so no it's it's it, again as with all things it depends but as a you know it, it's entirely subjective and it will happen at different times but as a rule of thumb the, the moment a moment happens uh so obviously we know that the god the champions will fight they'll basically try to um rise up and become ascended at some point they will ascend you'll have a new core of the gods uh, they'll rise up to the heavens and then they'll exist there and for a short time afterwards it can go on for a longer time depends on the actual age and you know who the actual gods are that sort of stuff how benevolent they are you know everyone all of the mortals worship these gods but basically as we start moving towards a more secular kind of um, civilization amongst the you know, amongst the um, races and nations of this uni- of the universe on the mortal plane, they start to forget the old gods. They start to kind of turn their back on them. They stop worshiping them. Sorry, stop stop worshiping them. They kind of start to look at them and say, "Well, you know, these gods are really sort of old stuff. We don't care about this stuff. That's what people believed sort of you know hundred years ago or whatever." And that's the point where the mortals turn their back on the gods and that generally tends to be what triggers the uh what triggers kind of at that point the gods fury and that's why they sort of rain destruction it's a very jealous rage so one thing that should be written down from age to age is a big plaque saying don't anger them <laughs> just don't well i mean yeah it, that's mate. probably a really good idea isn't it <laughs> it's not worth Joined it letters yeah on a i mean somewhere <laughs> I mean, to a certain extent, it's the sort of thing that's inevitable, right? Now, we can go into conspiracy theories that there is somewhere along the way there's something surviving, some sect somewhere through the different ages that kind of sends out cultists to kind of deliberately make these sort of set the seeds of disbelief in society. But I don't think that's really true. I mean, that's the sort of thing where it, it's far too organized for our universe. Like the destruction that is visited upon bad. these things is just... Yeah. Exactly. The destruction that's visited upon these things is so total, it does that. And you would know. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> so that leads me to another random question. This is quite a high fancy question. You keep saying sure. um, world or universe. Um, how big is this universe? Inverted quotes. So is it a planet? Are we talking a solar system? We're talking uh, universe, multiple dimensions. You know, what's the scope? We're talking a planet. Okay. 
Um, so at the moment, I mean, it may obviously there will be a universe for this thing. Um, there will certainly be, yeah, it's got to exist somewhere, right? But in terms of the actual sphere of what we're talking about with gods here, it's a planet, right? So, um, f- there's been 11 ages, so, so we are in the 11th age, sorry. Um, and yeah, so the gods ascend every age, and there's something happens, and they fight eventually, they fall, they fall to earth again in bits. Um, and as was covered in the last podcast, um, because the gods fall down in bits, say for example, for example, the god of death dies and falls to earth in bits, someone could pick up god tears of the god of death and also god tears of a different god, and they mix together into a smelting pot, and that person could become a god of something else. Yeah? Um, and people worship gods from age to age. So, I mean, I guess historically people might not be familiar with what gods were around in the past, I mean, cave paintings and things, because I guess people have no idea how many ages there's been, or indeed how many gods there were in the past. I so there are the some... information con- passing on isn't that great. It's mostly going to be word of mouth, obviously, and then some ancient documents somewhere. And again, that's when we look at different um, civilizations and how they would have survived. Someone like the Dwarves, for example, there's this sense of purpose. They know that they were created in the Age of Iron. Um, they know that they were something where... For some reason or another, they were created by the gods to smelt this new metal, this new material that no one had seen in the entire world before, which is iron, of course, hence the name of the age. And the idea being that that's this sort of sense of purpose the dwarves have always had. Um, then you have other you have other nations or other races where they just they simply don't have either the inclination or they simply don't have the knowledge of why they were created. We can look at humans and orcs as great examples of that. Humans and orcs obviously exist. They don't know why it was that they were created by the gods, as all nation, as all races tend to be. Um, they simply don't know, um, and they sort of have that lack of purpose. And especially amongst the humans, there's this real drive to kind of, you know, amongst the scholars, amongst the uh, various different kind of sages, that sort of stuff, to find out why, you know, why are we here? Why were we created? Why did someone put us here? What purpose do we serve? So what's the code age called again? Uh, well, the current age is the eleventh age. It doesn't yet have a title purely because okay. the, the ages the ages will pick up a title of some description by the things that occur in them and define them. And unfortunately, and this, it's well, quite, quite a new age, isn't it? Really, I guess it's quite a new age because this is new. We haven't had anything occur yet to give it that age. And even those names won't be universal because well, I guess not. That's a good point. Dwarves might call it Univi- um, like Age of Iron. Orcs might call it something else completely. That's exactly it. I mean, ultimately. The ages are remembered by, again, it's the people who survive and sort of pass on that sort of information. The dwarves know the Age of Iron existed. They've got, you know, they're, for the most part, they're one of the more protected races where they, obviously, their homes are deep within the mountains. So they survive a little bit more than others. They'll have documents, well, they'll have documents, rune script, whatever they have, going back for a long way, longer than most other races. So shall we go through some of the um, champions then? I've got a sure. oh, one question before that, actually. Go. Um, do, go. So do actually any gods survive this whole upheaval? So have any gods survived from age to age? No. Gods no. are totally destroyed. The Part of it is the sense that, obviously, the gods diminish in power as people don't believe in them anymore. Right, uh, but the other time, of, the other thing, of course, is that the idea is this: this uh, civil war amongst the gods just utterly drains them so much. In in terms of to destroy another god, that it just draws all of your power out of you to the point where even the survivor kind of looks around and just weeps at the destruction, kind of wonders, you know, in this moment of clarity, what have we done? And that's the final sundering. That's what breaks them to pieces. So the awesome. first god of the new age to ascend upwards goes to like an empty room. Full of sort of broken beer bottles and you know, just stains of things. <laughs> <laughs> what happened here? Yeah, it's a big party room. Yeah, yeah no, there's this sense that, that in in the story, the uh, ultimately all of the champions, all of the champions inevitably come together in one giant last sort of climactic battle. Um, and at this point, obviously, they are immense creatures. They're towering over the over everybody else they're these giant titans and they're leading you know rather than war bands they're now at this point leading nations they're leading entire races of people or followers these really kind of um god-like figures where they just stride across the planet across the earth and they have one incredible last battle 
uh, as in, you know, the death and the bloodshed is insane, uh, to the point where that's what kind of triggers the ascension for all of them. At the height of the battle, at the point where so much outpouring of souls and life and magical power is happening, that's the point where they reach ascension and they all ascend together. Oh, I see. So you could have basically um, one god, uh, well, sorry, one um, god candidate and another candidate attack each other, both die in each of the grasps, and they both ascend together and go up to to the realm and mm. quite awkward conversation afterwards. <laughs> like, well, oh, I mean, yeah, that's, no. that's, the, that, that's ultimately the thing that leads to their downfall as well, of course, because yeah, enmities will still exist. Yeah, 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 of course. You've made a really depressing world. <laughs> it's great, isn't it? It's got hope. <laughs> you can never die. It's always reborn. Yeah. Well, you always die, and there's think, no point doing anything. More happy than that. <laughs> it's a Ragnarok all the time. <laughs> it's brilliant. Um... <laughs> So let's start with um, with um, Titus. Your favourite. I love him, and he's the first on the list, and he looks cool. He's a big dude with a sword. I approve of that. Um, he's a human, I assume. Titus is human. Um, the interesting the interesting question with Titus is that he comes from a place that lots of people want to know more about, uh, which is the borderlands of the Sanguine Princes. Now. I mentioned this in the comments a little while back and immediately got bombarded with questions about vampires. So I should probably, uh, I'd probably go into this a little bit more, but um, Titus is a really interesting character. He's inherently one of our, and I say this in inverted commas, good guys. He's this intensely noble um, and um, dedicated warrior who's comes from this land where uh, the Borderlands is this very um, bleak, very unforgiving place. Um, if you can imagine our landmass, it's it's the border. It's a row. It's a ridge of mountains, which is the border between uh, the sort of fertile plains of where the human realms are, where the uh, the kingdoms of human of man are, and then on the other side is this blasted wasteland that was once um, a very big, very developed civilization, which has now, of course, been literally reduced to a massive desert. Um, through sheer destruction visited upon it by the gods, um, called the Broken Plains, uh, where Rangosh hangs out. Now, the idea is is that the the borderlands is really where you have a bunch of warriors, um, and all of the people who are sort of exist upon that land. Really, they're the last kind of bastion before to stop anything coming out of the Broken Plains and attacking the human kingdoms. So the people who live here, this really hardy, very honourable, um, very no-nonsense kind of um, nation of people, and, and they consider other humans to be kind of you know soft and weak because the only way they survive is purely through um, you know it's through honour, it's through sort of you know constant strife and warfare. Basically, their whole purpose they have is to literally patrol these lands, uh, garrison the kind of citadels around it, that sort of stuff, and protect everybody else. Now. The interesting part is that Titus was a leader for one of the legions um, that exist here, um, the Sixth Legion, and they marched out one day to war to go fight something or other. Uh, we're not going to go into what that is because it's a bit spoiler-tastic, but they marched out to attack people, and a sort of you know at the height of battle, Titus sees the destruction happening to the people to his army around him and realizes that it's completely futile he's leading his men to their certain death and it's just a waste of life that can be avoided if he just you know they just fall back but of course amongst these hard people whilst he's whilst he does do that uh, amongst these hard people when he gets back it's back to sort of you know the realm is that well that's basically that's unforgivable that's dishonor and families will you know people will actually kill themselves rather than visit dishonor upon their families in this in this uh in this nation so titus at that point is put to you know he's put to death or he should have been fighting in the gladiatorial combat um and of course that's the point where titus just will not fall he's just gonna fight and fight and fight and keep going because he's that proud until the end even the crowds who are kind of baying for his blood are screaming the name of the sixth legion but of course the rulers of this nation just have to, at that point, banish him. And presumably goes yeah. out and then finds his first god here, I guess, afterwards. Well, he's, he's already uh, chosen um, prior to that Does that mean, you, does that mean you're is, innately better in the first place, does it? Oh, that means essentially that you've... At that point, that means that you start to... Uh, being chosen is when you start to realise you are... Um, awakening as a champion, basically, it, it may be for some. It's the duration is you know can vary depending on the individual, but that's the point where Titus would know. Okay, so something is pulling me towards God here. 
at that point, yeah, I'm hearing whispers in, the, in my mind even, saying, even go to tier makes dudes. you more powerful even without ingesting or taking god tears in or whatever you did to them to make yourself more powerful. You're more more like Destiny. It's more like, in terms of our, our writing, it's going to give you god plot, plot armor. Um, in terms of anything else, it kind of makes you more destined to have... Yeah, you've got a fate that is not that of normal mortals. It's the sort of thing where something would turn aside a blade. It would be something where um, you are inherently possessed of a stronger will or more fortitude or any number of different characteristics we can think of that rises you above everybody else, yes. Um, so the world's full of people who e- either are chosen or think they are and then die horribly. Poor guys. Uh, not necessarily. Some people obviously... Some people want to be chosen. It's really something to aspire to, but at the same time, it's just simply not something that everyone has. It really is something that falls to... It's a mantle that falls rarely upon people. I mean, we obviously think that the percentage is higher because we've got an awful lot of champions in the game, right? But you've got to understand these are representatives of an awful lot of different races, peoples, nations, kingdoms. So so presumably he's still dishonored and therefore still wanders around the wastelands hunting things down but his nation doesn't like him still and he's basically still an outcast is that right well the people of the people of the sangram prince's borderlands yeah the actual people uh, would happily have him back you know he's impressed but, them in the sense that you know he stood in that but he is well the borderlands are ruled by this enigmatic noble noble family called the sangram princes which gives the name to obviously the uh, to the land and they're a mysterious bunch. Um, no one really sees much of them. There's these stories of when they're in great times of in times of great war, they've led out armies um, ahead of them, and they've you know on these giants or steeds, or even these monsters they've tamed, that sort of stuff. And there's you know these fantastic stories of their kind of um, of their bloodlines, uh, kind of heroic deed, um, how they've sort of smote down enemies, that sort of stuff, and all these other stories as well about how the warriors around them have fought more kind of fervently. Um, you know, as followers, they've kind of fought more because their rulers there with them. These ideas that you know, there's these incredible stories that someone, you know, some mighty hero has f- fallen um, in battle, and then his spirit rises up and continues to fight that sort of stuff, leading these people on. Lots of stuff like that around when these uh, when these rulers turn up. So they're not going to be very happy that somebody else has chosen not one of them. Then, kinda. I mean, that's one of the things. The other one is is that by keeping Titus around, they kind of it's a threat to society on the basis that again, if the, if the message is dishonor is equals death, well, this guy has survived that. And at that point you introduce this sort of dissension that, well, maybe, maybe we can as well. Maybe it isn't everything. Our honor code is, is kind of perhaps different. And that's the sort of thing they can't really afford to have Titus back for. Brilliant. Um, should we go on to the next one? Um, Dan, any else you want to ask, ask about him? No, I think that sums him up. Cool. Tragic story. Nicely, uh, sneaky Pete, the maligned, bless him. Yeah, bless his bless his, bless his cotton socks. He kept his name. Sneaky, he did. Um, <laughs> sneaky Pete is a lot of fun. I mean, he's the interesting. Sneaky Pete is the one who changes the most. I think uh, becoming a champion um, purely because goblins are quite primitive creatures. They're these creatures which aren't necessarily the sort of sharpest knife in the drawer, and they're very. Um, tribal they're kind of these very sort of low intelligence um very primitive creatures and they have they all really exist in this one place which is called the bitter swamp um and the reason it has that is because it's an island off the the, uh, off the coast of the Burnt Isle, which is pretty much where all the orcs are. And at the start of the 11th age, this shard of ascended death, i.e. the death god, slams down into this uh, into this sort of swamp land, or into this ocean, uh, this sort of um, lake, and turns it into this massive swamp land, where, you know, kind of through corruption of the land, you know, you can imagine going there now, it's quite a nightmarish place. There's kind of, you know, choking weeds everywhere, giant snakes um kind of serpents that sort of sliver through the water that sort of stuff it's really it's just corrupted and the goblins of course worship this stone or have done in the past as far as they understand it is effectively a god and that's what they've done it's this totem for them and most of the goblins who've gone anywhere near it have been driven mad and of course become prophets to these primitive people and then of course we have sneaky pete and Sneaky Pete is one of the first goblin chosen there ever is. And of course, as soon as he sets eyes on this thing, he just is filled with this need to possess it, 
which to his mind, which is not necessarily as well developed as say in other champions, is literally to just consume it. It's the only way he can understand <laughs> owning this thing. You can imagine he kind of forces his jaw open, just rams this stone in there and swallows it. But of course, as soon as he does so, he immediately begins to go through this transformation. He's, you know, he's at that point, he suddenly becomes much more than he was previously. And at that, at that stage, of course, he rises to leadership over the goblins very easily um, because the others are kind of originally outraged, you know, what have you done? And then realize he's just become something very, very different and very much um, he's ascended above those guys. And at that point, we then have Nicky Pete. And at that stage, he now hears the whispers more that there are other stones like that out there and he should go out of his lands and go explore and find these things. So presumably other champions don't eat their stones the way they absorb them is going to be very different each time. I can imagine, for example, someone like Rattlebone is she's going to have um, her own tradition, her own uh, sort of tribal ceremony, her, uh, you know, which involves, I imagine, lots of prayer, lots of kind of um, maybe even sacrifices, that sort of stuff, to absorb the power from a god tier very slowly and absorb it into her, that sort of stuff. And I imagine that sort of thing will visit her with visions, um, that sort of stuff. And I can easily imagine something like Ray, someone like Wraith Marid, who's not necessarily comfortable with the mantle of Chosen. Um, he's got more sort of soul searching before he absorbs the power. Um, you know, more kind of um, again looking for omens, meditation, that sort of stuff. Someone perhaps like Rangosh, and this isn't Rangosh, but someone like Rangosh might literally just grab the stone, ram it into his chest to absorb the power. For example, really, it's going to depend on the nature of who the champion is. So do the orcs and goblins get on? The orcs conquer pretty much everything that they come into contact with. They're this race of very, I'm not going to say barbaric because that's not really fair to them. They are, but from what we would understand, they certainly, yeah, we certainly are. They're very nomadic in terms of they exist in this um, island called the Burnt Isle. The reason it's called that is because it's literally covered in volcanoes. Um, earthquakes happen on this thing daily. It's it's this massive continent, effectively, which is just constantly being ruined by natural disasters. And it's extremely hot there. The simple fact is, is there's loads and loads and loads of god tiers just hidden underneath the ground. For whatever reason, there's a big concentration of god tier in this thing. And where they're all from different gods, they kind of... Um, they basically don't resonate to get what well, they resonate together, but in a bad way to the point where they, they actually start ripping the earth open, that sort of stuff and cause a lot of instability. Um, and that's why it's, yeah, this really sort of magical, but artificial location. Now for the orcs, they don't really get that, but they do like the fact that it's much hotter than everything else seems to suit them well enough. And they're too busy warring of each other to really notice that. Um, the world lives in fear that at one point, a, warlord will unite all of the orcs and lead them off this island and then attack everywhere else because no one's sure that anyone could hold stand up against that because orcs tend to be for whatever reason they are the most warlike most natural soldiers the world has ever known so goblins are okay. part of them and such beyond like the, uh, the goblins yeah the goblins are certainly a different race um the goblins are the one of the the goblins and the trolls are the nations uh or sorry the races that sort of exist off the uh, burnt isles and for the most part the trolls are pretty much all enslaved by the orcs or killed uh the goblins are able to survive purely because not even orcs are stupid enough to go into the bitter swamp because that's like certain death if you're not a goblin so that's really where they're able to survive now, there would be some alliance between them, I imagine, some sort of mercenaries, but it's certainly not something that you're going to see lots of. To take this question a bit further, is there any other classic race alliances stroke enmities throughout this world? So you can rest assured that I don't think any fantasy has ever existed where all uh, dwarves and elves have ever been buddies. <laughs> Good to know. Um, and... <laughs> Whilst now, you know, we no. want our well, <laughs> no, we want our universe to be we want our universe to be unique and to feel you know different and new, but at the same time, one thing that we've obviously striven very much for with God tier is to keep the sort of classic fancy tropes in there, so everyone's recognisable to you know an instant glance. Like you can look at, I don't know, you look at Rodri and his army and uh, his guys and go dwarves, get it. Like you look at Lorsane and go, yep, elves makes sense. For the same reason, we can't then necessarily have those guys as buddies because everyone get very confused by that um 
Now, obviously, we can change the reasons why that might be, but we certainly aren't going to change it around. Um, I think for the most part, the other one that really, the only one that sort of really sticks out in my mind, well, dwarves and humans are allies in a certain sense. And the closest race to the dragonkin is the elves. I think we normally have, there's normally a connection between elves and dragons, right? Yeah. So, so something like that. But for the most part, that's pretty much it I can think of. Is it the banner? Uh, looking at the banner pictures from the Kickstarter, isn't... I mean, I'm sure, that, yeah, there's certainly a dwarf orc thing, isn't there? Because Blackjaw's banner has got one of the dwarf shields on it. Yeah, Blackjaw is a conqueror. He he has raiding parties going here, there, and everywhere. Um, yeah, that's right. Um, so that's Pete, then. So Pete basically is on a quest of power, eating stones, and making goblins worship him. Pretty much. I mean, all of the champions have their own reasons for sort of going out and trying to find power. Um, the interesting thing about becoming a champion in the God Tier universe is you start out as you. Um, and obviously, once you become chosen, you start thinking a different way entirely because at this point, you're now questing for something very specific. And as you absorb more of the God Tier power, whether that be consuming it, stabbing it into your chest or otherwise, um, you start to have whispers from the Ascended um god before you and all of the variations on that god that have existed before down the ages begin to whisper into your mind you still cease being you much yourself and become this gestalt kind of entity of all of the god combined if that makes sense so to a certain extent even the most noble creature even sort of rodri who has this sense of i want to become you know i'm a champion and i want to get more power so i can protect my people there's ultimately a point where you have to wonder, well, is the influence of the gods going to take over and start asking you to start looking for power for power's sake? You know, does that get corrupted at some point and turned? That's pretty pretty crazy for the person, especially seeing that each god in each age could be different as well. Well, we're, it's we're, interesting we're because... Gods in you. Exactly. And, you've, I mean, obviously there'll be dominant personality and that will be the individual, but it will, it's not to say they won't be influenced by other things. And it's interesting because you have to have a look at something like this. Let's take a really classic idea of a god of war. If you think of a god of war, then there's no reason that, say, Rangosh in this, in this particular instance, we'll take two existing champions, actually. So let's go Rangosh becomes the god of war in the 11th age. Now, people in the 12th age will look back and they'll understand the god of war in this example as this tyrant, this conquering god, which is all about bloodshed and carnage, all of that sort of stuff, that aspect of what conflict and war would be. Now, let's say instead of Rangosh, Titus gets it. And at that point, people in the 12th age look back and they perhaps instead of seeing this, you know, the war god as this creature that's existed or this divine kind of uh, will that's all about slaughter and bloodshed, it's actually about honor and nobility and sort of martial prowess. So there's lots of different, you know, the gods can change quite dramatically as time goes on. So next up is Galana, uh, the crystal mancer, who, I don't know, is some kind of gnome, I guess, dwarf, halfling. I don't know, hasn't got a beard. She's a gnome. She's a gnome. <laughs> <laughs> so the interesting, the interesting one about the gnomes is that they're not from the cradle. Um, they're one of our races which isn't native to that land. Um and not really much is known about them. They known it's known that the gnomes existed for a long while. Um, they're, they're not a new race by any stretch of the imagination, but no one really knows anything beyond fairy tale about them. And they exist in the forgotten corners of the world. Um, what is read generally tends to be rumoured is that they're fairies and they have sort of you know a different connection to the magical realm than anything else, and everybody else does. Um, the only one that really anyone's seen in the current age is Galana. And that's beauty because she's possessed with this sense that she needs to go out and explore. She needs to go out and cross the land and find new things. It's very unusual amongst her people to the point where, you know, the other gnomes look at her and think, well, not really sure, you know, what's your deal, but you're not really one of us. Are you? You've got a spirit or something else inside of you. And the point where Galana has now reached the cradle and in doing so, um, she's kind of started communing with spirits, um, you know, you can see her atop the uh, Crooked Spine, which is one of the dwarven mountain ranges, sort of basically at the height of all the great storms, speaking to the spirits that are conjured up by these things and kind of learning different secrets and different truths, trying to, trying to understand why it is that she's possessed with this wanderlust. Um, and now she knows. She's basically awoken as chosen, and she's found her first god tier. 
Uh, and at this stage, she's now realized that that's her purpose. For whatever reason, she doesn't know why yet, she's now questing out across the land to find more of these stones. So she's more on a search for knowledge rather than anything yes. else? Okay. Absolutely. Um, which is kind of interesting, because, um, I mean, obviously the magical person with sort of golems or um, some kind of followers... I'm not sure what they are. Are they, are they sort of are they golems? I can't really tell. Uh, crystal, crystal sprites. Yeah. Um, do do we do, does eating god tears always make you taller? Is, is you tall for a gnome? Good question. And the answer. <laughs> I'm not going to give you every answer. Oh, so okay. god tears affect people in different ways. Um, so, for example, Rodri's thing is that he is much bigger than other dwarves because. One thing that drives him is the need to protect, the need to be stronger and bigger to be able to stop everybody else from basically having things happen to them. So that kind of drives him to grow larger than everybody else. Um, Galana is is likely to be larger than an average gnome because surely, surely by absorbing some power from God Tier, you will get to be bigger, you'll be physically larger, but she's not huge by comparison. Yeah, because I was spending Shale the other day, and Shale's not a particularly large guy. I guess he's probably larger than a human a little bit, maybe. Mm, Shale's, Shale's slightly different. Perhaps we'll do him next, but Shale, Shale's a different kind of champion than everybody else. Cool. This is where I suddenly remember I asked that before, and I've forgotten my own, my own podcast. Um, so, Shale. So, Shale's really interesting champion, right? <laughs> <Is he> really? <laughs> Champions, uh, yeah, he's pretty cool. So, Shale's big thing is that he is a druid from, he, although he's human, and technically his land where he comes from is within this great protectorate of human kingdoms that exist. He is one of the people on the outskirts where they're more in tune with their sort of rustic nature, they're more in tune with the old gods or the old elementals of the earth, that sort of stuff. Um, he's originally um a cast of druids where uh their whole purpose is to commune with the elemental gods uh sorry the elemental um spirits and really kind of um protect the spirituality of the communities out in the sort of wilds but one thing that shale has learned through exposure to this is that no mortal really should ever be um privy to the secrets or the powers of the gods as far as shale is concerned no mortal should ever become ascended. There's just simply a power that should never be theirs. So instead, although he's, wake, he's woken and has chosen, instead of absorbing the power into himself, he shapes the living rock around the god tier he finds and creates guardians for them instead, like this giant golem thing. So his golem actually contains the god tier. It does. And the idea he has is that he shapes the stones, you know, he shapes the living stone around them to create these images of the asc- you know, what he knows of the ascended who've passed. So, for example, the golem is obviously representing what you know is representative of a god of some description. As far as Shale understands it, it might well be that other golems, for example, is left in hidden places to protect other stones. He sort of turns them into these guardians, so that way no one else who comes across them might be able to steal the power. It's interesting. So, if we had a um, god to epic version, you know, with sort of you know huge models and smaller troops and everything else, <laughs> you've got you've got Shale with this huge sort of four hundred feet high golem. I don't know necessarily that he controls them. I think he's more that he's part of a pact with them where they don't, you know, as far as both entities are concerned, the power of the gods is not for mortals. So obviously that's the thing. I certainly don't think that Shale can control it at all. I think it's got at this point, the, every god here has its own sentience somewhere in there, no matter how primitive or basic. And I think that's what drives the golem. That's pretty cool. Um, Mornblade then. So Mornblade is a champion from the Ninth Age um, who is defeated. Remember I talked about kind of this age where this this time where all of the gods here have been found and at that stage the champions will turn upon each other. Um, and God and Mornblade is one of those. He's the point where, but instead of being destroyed, because normally if you have the power of the gods here removed from you, your body will literally will wither away. It will be desiccated and destroyed. Mornblade had sufficient power enough remaining in within him to refuse that happening he was still left as this sort of you know corpse or near death but his sort of deathly shroud continued to float there continued to stay anchored to whatever was left of his body to the point where as he watched his triumphant sort of foe march off the battlefield um away he kind of you know sort of slunk off into the sort of darkness to kind of restore his power 
he's down and out for you know a couple thousand years doing so sort of feeding on carrying energies of the destruction of the world anything can get his hands on to the point where he's now risen once more and at this stage at the start of the 11th age the moment has come where he has enough power now he's he's developed he's uh so basically built some followers in his own image and he's now marching out and says this time this will be when i ascend so that suggests that um undead in the in the world are super rare right so there's two types of undead in our universe uh the first one is the revenants now they're well yeah they're the sort of sentient undead that's the people like mornblade where it's a soul or a spirit which has persisted for whatever reason after the mortal body has died. Now, that might be that that can, you know, exists as a lish or a white, or it might be that it's in the case of Mornblade, it, you know, it kind of builds its body back up again, regenerates. It's worth pointing out when Mornblade, when we're talking about him being a champion, he was human at that stage. Um, he's only become a revenant since then. Uh, he, he survived death, and that's why he's now a revenant. Um, but those are the unfortunate individuals who are anchored to one place or to the earth through, you know, tragedy, through the sort of, you know, trauma of their death, that sort of stuff. Yeah, even banshees, spirits, ghosts, that sort of thing. Um, the other undead are the non-sentient, and that's the, sort of the zombies, the sort of skeletons, the followers, effectively. Um, and those are interesting because although revenants have existed rarely as you say throughout all of the ages we only started to see the rise of nonsense in undead the risen um around about the age of death which is when the god of death had cursed the land the mortal realm to actually have a new type of undead in it that's where a particularly powerful god of death had basically made its move to try and consume the rest of the world so in the same way that gods can make races basically that was his effectively well, it's in, the, very much so. The god of death is the only god that can't create life for obvious reasons. Um, so in that case, it was really something where he can put the curse there or he could put the curse there and it needed to feed off of other races to kind of exist, if that makes sense. It would need to sort of, yeah, it's parasitic. This, exactly, this parasitic kind of magical um, curse visits upon the other mortals. Um, so presumably... His aim is to just accrue more power, um, and yeah, Mornblade's a very much simple kind of champion in the yeah. sense that he's power hungry before he even becomes chosen. So now it really is very simple as you know, even death can't defeat me. This is my time. I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna become god. So I'm can going he fully remember his, his old life because if he can, he can remember more about history than anyone else can probably ever. Indeed, yes. Um, well, it's not to say he's the only sentient. It's true, but it's not to say he's not the only sentient undead. So he was chosen once, and he stayed he was chosen, chosen, or was he chosen yes. he's, again? He's, he's, he's remained chosen. It's the same okay. individual, just a different body. Well, yeah. he used to be human, he's now a uh, revenant. So it's not like chosen works in cycles. It normally no. does, because normally they die, but he didn't. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, the individuals will turn up. Chosen is, is a Being chosen is something that falls upon different individuals, but um, if you don't die, then it will stay with you. Okay. <laughs> I mean, basically, as, 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 we, as we were to look at it, exactly as I said with the, uh, exactly as I said with the uh, Broken Plains, where we have the... Um, where you... Oh, sorry, the uh, Shattered Plains, where you have sort of that land used to be a great nation... <laughs> Um, a great nation of people which has now since been turned to desert so by comparison we're not now going to see um you know Mornblade could well have been from there he could well be from another kingdom that's been destroyed or even outside of the cradle we don't know that the cradle is very much a new thing so oh, okay fair enough so he, he can go around and bore everyone about how this used to be, used to be all fields here and stuff and... Uh, oh that's that's pretty much exactly where he's coming from um yeah He's actually a really nice chap. He just wants to remind people about what happened during the war. <laughs> Shut up, Granddad. Um, next up, um, I guess the model that most requires the sculptor to get some counselling afterwards um, is um, Grimshella the Vile. So Grimshella is... I mean, I know we've put her story before, so I won't labour it too much, but she's kind of your classic Disney princess, just gone a bit weird um <laughs> a bit weird no grimshala is she's a great example of what happens if an individual who isn't chosen tries to become so she uh, was basically under the impression that she should she, she deserved to be chosen but well in her case it's very much a tragic ta- it's, it's a tragic tale where 
she wanted to absorb the power and she probably knew she wasn't chosen, but it was something where she was so desperate that she, you know, she believed through sheer force of will that perhaps she could, she could survive anyway. And as we can tell, that didn't really work out for her. Well, she survived. It's true. I mean, she has to have these big straps sort of, you know, holding her body together in case it kind of explodes into sores or anything else. But yeah, she's survived. So is she basically trying to effectively, um, kind of attach new bits to her to it's, it's more so like she's she, she's still going along she's she's trying to search out the different gods here because her hope is is that by absorbing enough power by basically ascending and becoming a god she can at that point become eternally beautiful once more she's going to achieve the goal she wants to set herself out on uh, she's set out on by finally doing it what are, what are her followers what are they kind of just decayed uh, they're wretches wretches yeah Wretches, that's exactly what they are. Are they undead as well? It's mostly something where you're not exactly able to have a conversation with them. I would probably say they're closest to undead. It's a weird combination between something that's truly dead and a ghoul of some spirit, basically. And next up, I guess the last one... No, no, that's why there's two more left, isn't there? There's two more left. Um, is uh, Rattlebone. I guess she's also... Um, from the same aisle as Blackjaw? She's from the Burnt Isle, absolutely. So she, uh, the Orc tribes are really held together. Um, obviously, they have brutal warlords, that sort of stuff, but the thing that really holds them together, their, their whole culture defines it all, are these shamans. Um, and they, these sort of blood shamans, and they exist at the sort of centre of any Orcish kind of um, culture to the point where, although Orcs don't tend to believe in concepts like fear or um you know trepidation they still have this real sense of awe and this kind of wariness around um around the shamans because the shamans commune with the dead um they commune with their old chieftains they are these individuals who are just mysterious and different enough that orcs respect them in the sense of just giving them a very very wide berth and when they ask for things to happen they will just you know they'll obey even chieftains will kind of respect that. Like, you know, Blackjaw being a very brutal warlord amongst the orcs will respect the words of a figure like uh, Rattlebone because you don't cross the shamans. Now, in case of Rattlebone, you can imagine this real um, maverick kind of prophet. She's out on in the wilds, you know, completely away from everybody else, kind of doing her thing in terms of, you know, um, raising these different totems. Um, and kind of really seeing visions of the past but the difference between her is and the others is that she is chosen so when she sees visions, she doesn't just see a chieftain for example and she actually sees the gods themselves she communes with the sort of ascended who've passed um and her followers are beginning to build up around her obviously existing at a distance in case they earn her ire but they will bring her god tier they'll basically find different ways of kind of leading her to them or alternatively bring them to her at that point she then will absorb the power and become more and more uh, godly herself which of course then drives more cham- uh, more followers and so on so would that lead her to conflict with um Blackjaw, for example it's a great question and not what I have the answer to. The whole point of God Tier that we play is that we get to build the narrative um, through doing various different you know, campaigns, through telling our stories of what our champions are as we play. So it may well be, yes, she does come to I was going to say, one thing you could easily imagine is that these are two champions who were allied together initially for ease of you know, for convenience and so on, neither are powerful enough to take on the other one, but perhaps that does bring her to conflict later on down the line. Yeah, that's one question that I'm not sure whether you can answer or not really, but um, I mean... This sort of game does seem to lend itself very well to sort of, you know, um, not just campaign play on a small scale, but also sort of, you know, worldwide campaigns or, you know, posting your results mm. or that sort of thing, sort of shaped in our Absolutely. I mean, that's something we've always, in Guild Ball, for example, that we've done to great success, I think, uh, that we've had a lot of fun with and has really marked us out as a company willing to do that sort of, you know, take those sort of risks and, you know, put our storyline in the hands of the players, for example, because we want everyone in our community to be involved, sort of, you know, really get together and sort of, you know, help build the worlds that we have. And I think that would be very, very good for God Tier as well. Does that mean, um, let's say, on release day, that, all the champions are currently on a level pegging or is there someone sort of winning or sort of losing in the storyline to start with? Good question, Dan. Um, I'd say that everyone is effectively level pegging, although it's worth mentioning that, you know, different 
uh, essence of different gods, different individuals and manifest powers in different ways. So some some would have something that's a bit more subtle, for example. Um, someone like Rangush, for example, is all about brute strength, power, that sort of stuff. We can assume, you know, any god tier in here is just going to make him physically much bigger, stronger, that sort of stuff. Whereas someone like Shale, for example, doesn't have any power at all, but he does have the golem as a follower, so it kind of translates over. And then something like Rafe Marid, this huge hulking dragon, instead of channeling the sort of power into his strength, it's all about mystical might. So that's why it kind of creates these different individuals. This is probably a dumb question, um, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, you mentioned in the past the, the champions all coming together at the end for one giant fight before they all send upwards, right? Um, yes. Can champions die before then? Absolutely. So there'll be a point. Yeah, there'll be a point where it sort of ties back into something you mentioned earlier, um, and a question we've seen come up a couple of times. Um, champions can absorb any god tier. Um, it's not just so. For example, if your first god tier, we'll use you, Andrew. So if you're a cha- if you're chosen and you discover a god tier of the god of war or the ascended war, at that point you don't just become well. I'm all about the ascended war. I don't care about any other god tier. You'll be attracted to and draw power from other god tier as you go. Um, but the thing that will increasingly happen is that you'll actually, whilst initially any god tier will fit that thing, as you go on, the more of any one particular type of god tier you have, the more affinity you will have with that. So you might find yourself, after picking up more than one of the a shard of the Ascended War, sort of you know really attracted to sites of the Ascended War. That might be your ultimate goal is to pick up that. Now, of course, there'll be a natural stage in this in the uh, in the narrative where. There are no more gods here in the wild, as it were. They're all of, all their powers will have been absorbed in one way or another by a champion. And that's the point where the champions will then turn upon each other. That's the point where you would then immediately, instead of being drawn towards god tier, you know, a god tier sort of you know, shard buried in the earth, at that point you'd then start to feel this hostility. You'd start to be drawn together towards other champions who absorbed, you know, the, the ascended war shards. And that's the point where you would have this cataclysmic battle much like what happens in Mornblade, and eventually you would understand Champion having killed all of the other Ascended War and absorbed the power into yourself, or alternatively, you would have, um, you know, you'd be defeated by the wayside. So in terms of the game state, we have sort of three on three. Those are quite sort of fragile alliances, aren't they? Where sort of they are absolutely safety numbers for a while, but only for a while. You've got to- exactly, yeah. And it may well be that if, you know, if you can imagine uh, Rodri, for example... He's all about the ascent. Let's say ascended war for him as well, because we're sticking with that type, with that theme. So, Rodri is all about ascended war. Well, perhaps he's with um, Wraith Rid, who's instead about ascended wisdom, for example. They, they, there's there's sense in allying with someone who isn't pursuing the same goal as you. So, what sort of numbers are we talking about here? In a very rough sort of sense, um, are there hundreds of chosen, thousands of chosen, twenty chosen? Uh, hundreds god tiers are large small thousands tens twenties well god tiers we're talking probably thousands in ter- certainly okay. thousands in terms of the different shards of the gods uh and you know if you combine them all together certainly um but in terms of champions we're talking you know hundreds yep. so various different things will cause them to perhaps prematurely get killed. It's not always the case that they'll, you know, they'll survive all until this one thing where all of the god tier are gone. You know, there will be champions who fall by the wayside along the way purely because there will be conflict outside of that anyway. A creature like Rangosh isn't going to sit there idly and wait for the moment to be right before he starts killing things to get his extra power. If he sees the moment, he'll go for it. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so Half Tusk is next. Who's um, yep. a troll? A lovable rogue. Um, he's the last. He's the last troll, really, to exist in freedom. As we mentioned before, the orcs, orcs have left have, slavery. Yeah? You've got it. So the reason he's able to exist is because his ancestral homeland, where his ancestors have risen and and so on, has is on an island rather than being on the mainland. Um, it's actually an island, and it's a land called the Stonekin Isles, and that's not only where he has been, but it's also where this really unique, interesting race of Stonekin exists. Um, the fro- uh, the Froglodites being one of the types of people that exist on this land. Those <laughs> lovely roads, I love those things. They are the cutest <laughs> things, and 
basically he's exists on this island he's chosen as well which obviously doesn't hurt in terms of making him more redoubtable but th- this sense that orcs continue to assail the island they continue to arrive trying to capture him trying to enslave him and every time he sort of fights them off but the real tragedy is of course is that he's he can see that it can't go on forever every time the orcs arrive there's more of them and every time more of the stone kin fall there's more dead frogloths in the, in the aftermath you know where there he might be fairly invulnerable to what the orcs bring but they're certainly not and he realizes that the only way he's going to save the Froglodites from extinction is by leaving his ancestral homeland now of course at that point he then realizes well i'm chosen if i can absorb more of god power uh, god tier power i can actually stop the orcs if i can reach a point where I actually can, you know, I can absorb enough power that I can then just march where the orcs are and just start literally devastating them to the point where I can actually save the Stonekin Isles. I can save my adopted people from destruction if I do that. So that's really where he's going from, on the understanding that perhaps the orcs won't bother the frog froglodytes anymore if he goes as well. Poor things. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's our champions, I think. That. So far, um, will have been sort of un- un- talked about much in terms of the background. Um, mm-hmm. Are there any other big questions about God Tier you want to ask, Dan, in terms of the world? Ooh, I've got a couple. I just don't know if I can bother. Um, <laughs> nice. Uh, I thought saved into a later date is what I meant. Um, so we talked about races, some being younger, some being older. Um, mm. Which is the oldest race and which is the youngest? Good question. So, oldest, the oldest race is probably a tie. It's technically the elves, but the dragonkin also bear worth mention here. Um, so, the elves are the first race created by the gods. Right. Um, they they are effectively the wardens for everybody else. The, the, and this is in the golden age. This is in the first age before there was any ascension when you had the true Eidolon gods, the, the original gods that existed and defined what the gods are um and the elves are the race that were created first and the idea is they were the wardens of the different um well they would be the wardens of the future races that would be created um they'd and they'd lead them and teach the different people about the gods and that sort of stuff now the reason that the gods got uh the reason that the elves kind of end up getting a large part of uh, their society destroyed was because in their hubris they became to the point where they were very jealous of this concept they would have to share this world with anybody else so when other races started getting created um, they actually went to war with them and attacked them and tried to destroy them um and at that point of course they earned the ire of the gods and then that's when the great sort of uh, the sort of devastation was visited upon the different sects of the elves now that was done by the angels of the gods, who were dragons, not dragon kin, the actual original dragons. Um, and they were effectively the, uh, the sort of bearers of what the gods' you know, voice was in the mortal plane. Now, skip forward uh, to the point where the first reign of the god tier occurs, and we have um, the dragons realize that their own powers begin to diminish as the gods have died. You know, they're not going to survive. They're not going to pull through because the whole way that these magical creatures exist is through this sort of um, through this um, pantheon, through this sort of uh, connected existence they've got with the gods. So they actually create a race of their own. They're, the dragonkin are the only race that's not created by gods. Uh, they actually create the dragonkin as wardens of their kind of truth, of their kind of understanding that yeah, you've got to protect the powers of the gods from mortals because they will just corrupt the god stream they'll yeah they won't be they'll become ascended and that will effectively doom the world to this cycle of destruction that exists in now um and that's where the dragon king come from so those are the two oldest races the newest that makes sense yeah newest would be probably it's again unknown because one thing that happens with a lot of the races is there's been an awful lot and some of them since been destroyed over one of the ages uh, we remember we talked about the gnomes where there's something where there's not many of them left. They're sort of mostly forgotten by everybody else. It may well be that gnomes are extremely prevalent at some point and then, you know, destruction rained upon them, destroyed a whole bunch of them, and now there's barely any left. But humans, so, so the same will could be that there was a newer race than humans 
um, who are probably the newest, uh, that was since destroyed in the 10th age. And that's why simply no one remembers who they are or knows them. But humans are the youngest, as, we, as far as we know. Are there any half-races at all? Um... Absolutely. There's no reason why we couldn't have half-orcs or half-elves, that sort of thing. Exactly the same way as you normally would have in fantasy. Now, you mentioned the word Godstream. Was that a just a random word or something very specific? That's the thing I'm not going to get into. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> you find a weak point, Dan. Ba-boom! <laughs> um, so, are there any races that we haven't seen yet that are going to be appearing soon? Or is that also a secret as well? Uh, soon soon, soon, soon is an interesting point. Um, I'm not sure what else to be in fantasy. Um, um, well, it's, we have various different things, uh, various different races. Again, as I said, there's a whole bunch of stuff out there that no one knows exists in our universe because they're beyond the cradle, um, which is the land, obviously, that we know they're from. The gnomes being one one example of that. There's who knows what else has survived from the ages and has been forgotten, or alternatively, you know, may may come to exist. That sort of stuff. So there's not anything in terms of as a new race. It's kind of a jump. New race to us as gamers, but new race to the universe, not so much. I think we're a bit early to start seeing any ascended gods creating anybody just shit. Yeah, so Rango- <laughs> Rangosh is a sort of minotaur, is he? He's a beastkin. So he's one of the beastkin. He's one of the races which exist off in the Shattered Plains. Are there many of them around? Because it looks terrifying. He's very large. Um, yeah, there are. <laughs> he's yeah, there large, are, yeah. certainly are. He's... More, he's yeah. true. Uh, I'm not going to go with necessarily with that. I mean, beasts can vary an awful lot in terms of their makeup. There's versions of them that you know have six. You know, there's centaur versions of them um, versus you know bipedal. Um, there's there's obviously minotaurs there. There's the more traditional kind of creatures like rangosh. There's quite a lot of variation in what they are. He was so well liked amongst his kind, he couldn't get on with following. He's got some human mercy following. Around. Well, it's more so much he's a renegade amongst his kind. The beastkin are very much herd creatures which have these uh, this own sense of um sort of honor and pride about who they are this their own sense of um, tradition that sort of stuff they're not necessarily again it's much like the orcs we would probably describe them as barbaric but in their own society they're much more honorable they're much more um much more traditional creatures and rangosh is really a, a beastkin it's rejected all of that because he wants to be warlord so he's really pushed out of his own lands, and that's why he's now sort of existed with outlaws, and that's the reason he's grown to those the head of those people rather than other beastkin. He was paid them very well, seeing half of them don't come back because he eats them or something. Well, I'd say, I'd say, pay them versus he's yeah, kind he of got a massive. Them. He's actually got a massive, massive whip with a huge. <laughs> metal chunk on it that's bigger than your entire torso i'd probably be fairly scared if this sort of thing came towards me to be honest so I'd, I'd you probably have me do now, what he said. Right, cool okay <laughs> yeah like you're pretty scary i don't <laughs> want you're, you're kind of on your way to becoming a god like yes boss i'll do what you say well nice <laughs> brilliant i think that's probably that's probably a podcast with god here in it probably is yeah have we missed anything important now you think anyone well, I'm probably, like, probably had many. Yeah, probably <laughs> <get someone saying laughs> there's, there's always going to be other questions about the stuff, but um, I think we've covered an interesting chunk of law in this one. Brilliant. Um, if you're listening to this, I assume you were interested in God tier. <laughs> Hopefully, you still are. <laughs> Hopefully, I haven't killed your keen. <laughs> we see see the backers' numbers drop as soon as this comes out. Um, if uh, as of, as of recording, there's 11 days left, so um, not not even a week through it yet, are we? Um, because it was um, last Friday, wasn't it? It um, released, and um, yeah, it's quite exciting. Um, version zero point eight came out today, so hopefully, me and Dan can play a game of that <coughs> in the next maybe a week or so, and um, release some content for that. <laughs> Assuming nine doesn't launch before that, <laughs> which you might do. <coughs> but certainly, the game's looking more refined, isn't it? Per stage, what do you think, Dan, about the new set of rules? Uh, with it's... the sort of knee jerk, untested reaction. The more the more releases come out, the smoother and simpler the game becomes, uh, and that's a well, big plus. Mechanically, I, I wouldn't say simpler in terms of. No, that's what I mean. Um, yeah. There's less Elegant, stuff getting maybe. in the way. Yeah, elegance is a good word, and I like that a lot. Um, yeah, I've been interested in seeing how how the how the how the new scenarios really change the gameplay a lot. Uh, two new scenarios. Oh. It's going to be very interesting indeed. With um, 
widely spread out scoring zones. Yeah, and also the losers can choose how they shrink, can't they, as well? So yeah, you can sort of be left in one flank with nothing else to fight for. There's much more of the board being used as the game progresses, which is very interesting. Yeah, it's going to be really good. So hopefully we'll play again that soon and uh, report back. Um, and that'll be about it. So thanks, Sherman, for your time. Thank you very much. Cheers, Sherman. That's right. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Sorry, where can people find out about the gods here at the moment? Um, Your sales they, pitch was pretty good. You missed out one crucial piece of information. Well, where it is. Yeah. <laughs> like how you can get involved. Well, there's a website called Kickstarter, and they can go on that. See, that's the first time you've in. mentioned it. Well, I'm sorry, Sherwin. I haven't got marketing training, have I? Um, they, they, can go, they can go on Kickstarter and search for God Tier. Alternatively, they can go on the God Tier Champions uh, Facebook page and find links there. But the chances are that's how they found the podcast in the first place. Um, I thought you were popular enough that people just listened to you because they saw, like, you know, you're among the most popular podcasts uh, out there. My sweet summer child. <laughs> um, yeah, so go on Kickstarter, um, find it there. Um, um, it looks. Um, like games going to grow and only get better. Um, we're looking at release day now. There's going to be if there's no more champions released before then, which who knows if it'll be or not. We're looking at how many champions are going to be out for the game now. Is it fourteen? Uh, uh, we're up to fourteen now. Yeah, fourteen. So, oh, um, thirteen, fourteen, around that number. Um, certainly, a good variety, that. and that's only going to increase. Uh, and the game is developing quite handily. Um, Steam Forge is taking quite an active you know, sort of process and taking more feedback and um yeah the game's looking pretty good it's pretty, pretty good obviously um we'll play more games and tell you what we think and um go from there so thanks a lot have i missed anything else that show in any more plugs i missed out at all is that fine no no your marking was pretty good that time thank um, you thank you yes thank you very much for having me it's been great to be on the show and to talk to you thank about. you hopefully we'll have you on again soon um thank Hope you so. bye bye Bye, Dan. Bye. Bye, Dan.